Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host today, TJ Branson. What I got planned for you guys today is to continue our Dynasty series, but we're going to be taking a different look at Dynasty leagues. And I think this is pretty applicable to redraft leagues as well, because we're going to be talking about aging veterans. We're going to be talking about a side of Dynasty leagues that doesn't really get the airtime that it should. A lot of what we talk about in Dynasty leagues are the prospects, the the shiny new toys that are coming up, the you know the guys that have nothing but potential and that are easy to sell. You can sell them on that potential. What we want to talk about is the players that are in the back nine of their careers, guys that might hit an aging curve, guys that might already be in this aging curve. Plenty for everybody in this episode. Today we have Peter Harling joining the show, fantasy guru. Uh, you guys know him all over, Dauber prospects and things like that. Dude knows his stuff when it comes to fantasy leagues. And we're going to be talking to him about some of these guys that are getting up there in age and whether or not there's still runway left. We're also going to toss in some NHL jump ready prospects, guys that are going to hop into the NHL or could or that we think should and what kind of impact we can expect from them. And we're also looking at year two expectations. Kirill Kaprizov, uh, Cole Caulfield, I guess you could call. I think I had him under NHL ready, but guys like Alexander Romanov, Josh Norris, Ellie Tolvanen, Jason Robertson, everybody that we were keying in on this year in redraft leagues and again in dynasty leagues as well. But what what's the next step? Does Ellie Tolvanen continue to dominate on the power play? Does Jason Robertson start to do more stuff on the power play? A lot of what he did was at even strength. So we're going to stop all this and we're going to get straight to the conversation with Peter Harling, who knows it better than I do. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I'll talk to you on the other side. Hello, everybody. This is Peter Harling, fantasy hockey guru, dynasty extraordinaire. How are you doing tonight, man? So, Not too bad at all. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for coming in, man. Today, the plan is to take a look at a side of dynasty that doesn't really get a limelight. A lot of what we talk about in dynasty leagues and, and podcasts and stuff like that is prospects. We talk about the young kids. They they Some say would get overvalued, but there's definitely sort of a focus there. We're going to talk about players on the aging curve, players who are approaching or already in the grips of that aging curve. And age-related decline is going to happen to everybody. And for those of us in Dynasty, especially cap leagues, you're on the fucking hook forever. So if you got Blake Wheeler, you're you, you're riding it out, right? Nobody wants to touch that. Brent Burns right now. Two guys we're going to get to. But Pete, I'm, I'm in a Dynasty league with you, and you don't seem to worry too much about A's. I mean, you got... Bergeron, Tavares, Ben, Kessel, Bishop, Hudobin. And this is not to say that, you know, you don't have a really good crop of the young guys to come in. But when in a dynasty startup, a lot of us tend to find the old guys that they drop in those drafts. Is that something that you were keying in on during that draft? Like the value of the older guys later, maybe shift towards win now right away? Yeah, I think when you go into a, a fantasy league in an inaugural draft, it's a level playing field, right? Like everybody's got nothing. So there was people who were going into this draft and they went into it in rebuild mode right into the inaugural draft. I'm like, man, what is that? Yeah. Like I can see if you inherit a team that's really bad or, you know, you, you go for it for a couple of years and you, you cash out a bunch of your picks and assets and, and then, you know, you'll win, lose or draw sooner or later, you're going to have to 
tear it down and build it back up. So th- those situations I could totally understand, but going into an inaugural draft, but go for it, you know? Um, so I, I went into that draft with the strategy of try to be uh, a contender immediately. So I want to pick players who are all across the board who are, you know, maybe I can get some value out of a veteran player who people will be passing on in favor of, of shiny bright prospects uh, so I can get good value in those guys in the later rounds. Uh, in the mid rounds, I want to pick players who are, you know, in their prime and whatnot. In the beginning, I want to start with players who are going to help me win right now. Um, and maybe this is just me because I kind of fancy myself as a little bit of a prospect guy. I, th- I felt that I would be okay with, you know, not being able to get the A blue chip prospects by passing up on them in favor of active players uh, who are in their prime now, and then still be able to get some pretty decent prospects later on in the, in the draft. And, um, you know, so I wasn't able to get, you know, guys from the first round of the draft, you know, no, no Byfields or Lafreniere's or whatever year it was that we did the draft and, you know, no Cole Caulfields, but um, still got some pretty good prospects who I'm excited about. It always pays to kind of zig when everybody else is zagging too, because like you said, you have a deeper grasp on some of these guys and all those marquee, Prospects, like you said, we're going out the door, the, the byfields, everybody that everybody knows, Kaprizov, you missed out on those guys, but you paid in to get out right away where everybody else is waiting three, four, five years to, to be in the position that you're setting yourself up but to be in immediately. So yeah, there's, there's some, some risk with that strategy too, right? Cause this is a pretty deep league and there's a lot of astute players in this league. You know, it's not like I'm, playing with a bunch of guys at the office who watch hockey a couple times a year and maybe go to a junior game once or twice. Um, you know, there's pretty smart guys and savvy, some guys and people clearly did their research and a few of the, I don't remember specifically who guys like probably Jason Robertson, but a few of the guys who I thought I could get later on, not, not so much. They were picked before I thought they would be. Is Dallas your like, is that your home team? You, uh, you got all three of the Dallas goaltenders and Jamie Ben, and you brought up, Jason Robertson now is that, is that like a team you cheer for? Nope, not at all. I mean, I like the green jerseys, but <laughs> sure, no, yeah. I'm uh, I, I, I live in Kingston, Ontario. So um, I grew up a Leaf fan. Ah, glutton for punishment. I'm a Flyers fan. I'm right there with you, man. So uh, on, on these veterans, uh, do you, do you see almost like an event horizon where, you know, it's time to jump ship? How do you evaluate that? What stats do you specifically look for that you kind of that are red flags for you you see maybe shots dropping off hits dropping off um do you like to see it through with these guys or do you try and jump ship uh yeah no i'll try and jump ship uh if i if i get the sense that things are going south uh, especially if it's a, a cap league and, and the players got term um there's, there's a bunch of different it varies from player to player right so in some cases a player has made generational wealth and you can just tell that they've lost their jam for the game. Um, and then they're just, you know, they're just collecting a paycheck, uh, going through the motions kind of thing. Um, but statistically, that's, you know, that can happen rather suddenly. Like you can go from being competitive one year and then having an off season where you kind of, you kind of spend more time fishing and drinking beer than, than working out. And then it's gone and you, they can't get it back. Once, once you lose it, I remember Solani saying something to that effect when he was in the twilight of his career and he was just signing one-year deal, one-year deal, one-year deal. And in the playoffs on hockey night in Canada, 
after hours, he was talking to Scott Oak and, and Oak asked about, you know, so you coming back next year. And, you know, he went on a rather lengthy explanation about how there isn't really a break and it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's a great lifestyle, he said, but it's really hard. You have to stay in peak physical performance all year and you can't really relax. And he goes, especially at this age, it's even harder. And the older you get, the harder it is. And um, so eventually that kind of catches up with guys. That's human nature. Um, but anyway, stat wise, uh, yeah, some of the things I look for um, depends on the player and, and what their, their role and their deployment is. But shots on goal can be a, good, a big one if they're just not generating points and they're not even generating shots anymore, um, you know, that's, that's not very, uh, very, very comforting. Um, Watching them, seeing what their deployment is. Are they still first unit power play? Um, Are they getting more defensive zone starts because they're savvy veterans than offensive zone starts Um, guys like, I think, cause they're good on the draw. Like Jason Spezza would be a player that comes to mind there. Right. Um, are, Are they, a power play specialist, someone who sits in front of the net or works on the half wall and, and works off one timers. And, and then that's just kind of gone for them now. And now their points are reduced or, um, or is the power play the only thing that's keeping their offense going and they don't produce five on five. Those are all different situations with different players that when one of some of those categories start drying up, uh, you need to ask yourself is, you know, is this the beginning of the end or is this the end? And it's, it's so tough. Like we're going to jump into Brent Burns here and I'm looking at his stats, 18, 19, 83 points in 82 games, full season over point per game. And then you, he backs it up with 45 points and 70 good for a 53 point pace. And with a guy like this, who has just year after year after year, put up these amazing stats, a 53 point year seems like the outlier. You're almost like, okay, it was just a down year and it gets a little risky because are you gambling on that year or is that, like you said, the the start of the end? Is this the beginning of the end or something like that? Um, and with Burns, like over the last three years, 82 game pace, free fall. Shots on goal, free fall. Is this age? Is it because Pavelski's not in there tipping in 20 goals a year? Or is it the team around him? It's like all collapsing. Or worst of all, is it a perfect storm of all three of these things happening at the same time? Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to pinpoint it down with any particular given player. But with Burns, I think we all knew that his, you know, 30 goal seasons or 20 plus goal seasons as a defenseman wasn't sustainable for very long. Um, plus, uh, he was playing forward for for some of that time where he was putting up the monster stats. Right. Um, so I still think he has some value. I still think he'll he'll be a high volume shooter. Um, so if you're, if you're in a league that counts shots, you can count on him for shots and, and hits. And as a defenseman, he's, he's bound to get you some blocks too. Um, but if you're looking at him in just an offensive sort of capacity, and, and that's the only stats that are relevant to you, um, then, you know, uh, not as, not as encouraging and his contract as well is uh, if you're in a hard cap league where you can't just, you know, throw him on the waiver wire and pick up someone else, then that's really concerning because that's a huge cat hit that he has. Yeah. You're on the hook for that one. And uh, I I don't know. There's, it's almost hard. San Jose and offense, they don't feel like synonyms. You know what I mean? They don't typically go hand in hand, not anymore. At least here's one that 
just hasn't slowed down. And I'm wondering if the wheels are ever going to fall off. And it's, it's Sidney Crosby, 100 points in 1819, 104-point pace, 94 points to back that up, and then 92 points this most recent year. 33 years old. He's playing with a core that is just as old, if not older, than he is. At, at what point do we start to worry? I mean, Malkin had 45 and 55 this year. Good for a 67-point pace. Almost gave us a full season, too. And he's typically somebody that misses time. Malkin with a brutal year. When, when does this core start to crumble? Well, I think that's something that that team is taking a hard look in the mirror. Uh, when Brian Burke left Sportsnet, uh, you know, he did a, an exit interview with them and they asked him some questions and, and he said that was one of the things that, that they had to decide like now. So he was just going to, his MO as a GM is to come in and not make sweeping changes right away and let it, uh, you know, give it some time and, and then, and then go from there. So he's given it some time. They had a playoff run and um, they flamed out against the Islanders again. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they, they start making some changes because their pipeline's pretty dry. They've got, they got very little on the come because, you know, they've been invested in winning for years now and they've been pretty quick to trade picks and um, yeah, their prospect pool is lean. Um, but like I was saying uh, a second ago about players who sometimes kind of, you know, lose their, their competitive spirit and they're just kind of collecting the paycheck and writing out their last contract. That's not Crosby. That's nope. just not in, in his DNA. He's never going to, even when he retires, he'll still, I think, work out and practice hard. I think, <laughs> um, you know, you hear so many interviews about players who are like embarrassed that he's the hardest working guy at practice. And then he's like their, their star player and he's their, their highest paid player. And, you know, like he could, if anyone could mail it in a couple of times, it'd be that guy. And he just never does. Uh, so eventually, you know, catches up with all of us eventually, right? So he will he will not be a relevant fantasy player, and then eventually he won't even be an NHL player. But I don't see that coming in the next couple of years. Like I, I would still say that he's good for uh, at least point a game season for another mm, three or four years. Certainly seems like it, man. Malkin. Yeah. What about Malkin? He he threw up a under point per game season for the first time. I think it was since like. 2011 2012 it's the only it's only the second time in his entire career that that that's happened um do you think that's the outlier or how do, how do i want to put this like would, would you be comfortable drafting him next year totally yeah. i think you, you might just need to um factor in a couple of uh a couple of, of ideas there one um you know i think he played through some injuries last season uh he ended up uh, missing some time during the season, came back for the playoffs and then went right out into to knee surgery after that. And so he's going to miss a bit of training camp and start of the season. So, you know, at 30, whatever he is, he's probably going to have very limited ability to do, you know, off season workouts. So that might put him behind the eight ball coming in the season. That's number one. And number two, I think it's safe to say he's not a hundred point player at this stage in his career anymore. However, he's still easily in, you know, a 70 point player, maybe not point a game, but you know, pretty good. I wouldn't hesitate to pick up, maybe not in the top 10 of the draft anymore, but you oh, know, yeah. still in the first round, depending on how deep your league is um, for sure. Yeah. I think there's lots of value there. The glaring issue for me, nine power play points for him this year. That is a career low. I don't know what it was with them and the power play, but that that's sticking out like a sore thumb. So I think, yeah. Like you're saying, man, safe bet. I got him in a third round in a, in a mock draft last night, which felt weird. 
I, I felt good. How many teams? It. Or maybe it was like the fifth round or something. It was a 12 team mock draft. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Not like a 24 or anything special, but I actually got Eichel in the third, which was strange. So I got Malkin in the fifth. It felt, felt dirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Pavelski. What a fucking renaissance for this guy. Made hay on the power play. 75 point pace. Did not look 36 years old. He's going to turn 37 in a couple of weeks here. Is the, you think this is a swan song? What's your confidence level on Pavelski next year? Low. Yeah. I think he took a really good opportunity of the situation where Tyler Sagan missed basically the whole season. Yep. And look at um, what Rupee's doing. Yeah. Right. So that's one of the things that you have to look at in, in these decisions when you're evaluating players as well is what is their opportunity going to be, or what was it when they had this really good season or this really bad season. Right. And so in Pavelski's case, he by default became the number one center. Um, assuming the Sagan comes back healthy next season and, and is the number one center that automatically relegates him down to second line center. So you move him down the depth chart a little bit. He loses some of his power play uh, minutes and you add a year on to the age odometer there. God and those are, those are all bad factors, right? Worst, um, worst thing you can do in hockey is get older. Right. So I, how many points did he have last season? I don't have in front of me, like 50 something. 51. Yeah. And 56 right. good for 75 point. Pretty close to a point a game. Yeah. So I don't think he'll be able to, to duplicate that, but I'm not saying he's going to crash and burn though. Right. Like I, you know, maybe he goes from 70 to 50 points. There's still good value there. Just, draft accordingly and if someone wants to draft him on a 70 point expectation not it let them do that and you can take the guy that'll actually score 70 points right after him you got it man tj oshi uh this one for me feels cut and dried he is he has been safe for 50 to 60 points uh but again getting older what do you think 50 to 60 points next year too I don't know if I'd go that high, but I'd still say he's good for 40 plus for the next couple of seasons. Um, And, you know, a lot of people think he might be in, in, in Seattle. So that would change the dynamic a little bit where he would go from being a complimentary offensive player after Ovechkin to possibly a principal offensive player, the driver on the power play one and whatnot. So I don't know if he's capable of, of stepping up to that role. We'll see if he gets selected by, uh, Seattle and, and what Seattle picks to go with him if that happens or if he stays in in Washington I mean they're kind of a, an aging team on the decline too overall so you know that's a bit of a red flag also Brad Marchand Patrice Bergeron and the subtext is David Pasternak so there's a lot of dynasty owners out there that look at Marchand look at Bergeron getting older this whole perfection line and what happens after uh, they show no signs of slowing down. Marchand, Bergeron, they're not slowing down yet, but they're going to, like you said, like we agree, it happens to all of us. Um, are you worried about Pasternak post the perfection line? No, no, not at all. I mean, he's got great teammates and he's on arguably the best line in the NHL or one of the best lines in the NHL, if not the best. Um, but he's a big factor why they're, why they are so good, right? He, creates a lot of plays and, and he finishes plays and, and, you know, Boston will still find someone to, to get in the puck and to cash in on, um, on the plays that he makes. Um, he, he's a, he's an elite player. He's not a line dependent player, Pasternak. So no, I wouldn't be worried about him at all. If I could get him in a trade at a discount, cause someone thought that Boston was on the decline and 
with Bergeron and Marshan being old, I'd jump all over that. Oh, yeah. Boston shows no fear when it comes to getting players. I mean, they went out, got Taylor Hall. They're, it feels like they just print money all the time. Like they have money for this. So when they do age out, I believe that they'll probably fill those spots with, with a center. And it just seems like, I don't know, he, he might be the driver on that line too. Patrick Hornquist, another guy with a ton of really hard-fought miles on the odometer, seamlessly fit into the Florida system. Seems to have a pretty safe net front spot on the power play one there. Do you think he's got a couple more years of multi-category coverage for us? Maybe, but I wouldn't bank on it. I feel like he's been in hard decline in the last year here uh, or so, uh, and he's got a history of injuries, so a bit of a Band-Aid boy and you know, he plays that uh, Thomas Holmstrom role where he sits in front of the net and, and just gets pounded on in order to screen the goalie and try and get some uh, some some sloppy seconds on tips and rebounds and stuff. You know, that has a tendency to, to take a, a toll on the body. And this is an example of a player where I think the, the bottom could fall out just like that, you know, where he can find himself, um, you know, 20 games into the season without really any production or points to show for it and, and not really being a factor in the games anymore and then being out of the NHL. And, you know, that's why you got to watch. You got to try and watch as many games as you can. Cause you'll, you'll see that you'll see that he's not a factor. It felt like Pittsburgh was trying to get out from under that. And that's why they sent him out. He had one good year, you know, that, that snap season could be next season. Yeah. I think they tried to capitalize on whatever value was remaining. I don't remember what they got for him, but if it was anything, it's better than nothing. Yeah, I think it was like, I think Matheson was in that one. I forget what else. Uh, Blake Wheeler, two 90-plus seasons. Back that up with two 75-point seasons. Uh, Huge drop-off in both shots, power play points, and blocks. The hits stayed about the same. 90-point seasons, they were buoyed by both a 40-point and a 33-power play point season. So maybe it's more of a power play point issue for Blake Wheeler. Um, Should we start getting backup plans here ready for Blake Wheeler owners out there? Or do you think there's a good amount of runway? Yeah, no, if you're looking for someone to have, you know, 70 to 90 point seasons, I think you, you need to to look elsewhere. Um, But uh, again, there's, there's, there's still tread on the tire and there's value there. You just have to um, uh, evaluate it correctly, appraise it correctly. Um, He's, he's not a high end draft pick anymore. You'd be looking at a 30 to 40 point player. So if you're in a points only league, that's not very exciting. Cheers. Um, But if you're in a league that counts all the peripheral stats that he can get you, right? Like he does everything. He gets you um, man advantage, shorthanded points. He gets you hits. He gets face-off wins. He's multi-positional. Um, not a lot of penalty minutes because he's too valuable to be in the penalty box and not on the ice. Uh, so you just have to adjust your, your valuing of this player. And if you're in a cap league, then his value takes a massive hit. Um that's just the way it goes yeah. with cap leagues. All right, let's get into the fun stuff, man. The kids here. We got Kirill Kaprizov right off the bat. Calder, I wrote front runner at the time, but he did win it last night. There's a bunch of bullshit surrounding whether or not he's going to resign. He went to Russia. So first off, I think the reports are just like, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the agent is putting some stuff out and trying to scare them into upping the number, whatever. My expectation is that he comes back. I'm curious if you think we've seen a ceiling. Minnesota had a historically bad power play the first half of the season. So I think there's more in the tank. I don't know if you agree there. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, 
so I haven't really been been paying attention to the news on him. He went to Russia like for the summer or he signed a contract. He went for a wedding and apparently now he's fishing in Siberia yeah. and like they can't get a hold of him, but he'll, there's something tomorrow that uh, he's going to make an appearance or talk or something. But I think it's all smoke and mirrors. Well, he's from Russia. Yeah. <laughs> he's got friends. His family's in Russia. there. Family, right? Yeah. This, I think this, this is not a red flag, right? Like, of course, there's mill. the Russian factor and everything that you always hear about. And that's legit. But I mean, you know, he'll make more money in the NHL than he will in the KHL. He's played in the KHL. He's been there, done that, dominated it. Um, you know, he had a he had an adjustment season. So this was his first year in North America. He's not a teenager. He's not a kid, right? So he shouldn't have like that homesick factor. He's, you know, he's 24, I think. Um, but there is a culture shock and adjustment there. And he did it in the middle of a global pandemic. So, you know, that makes it difficult. Uh, his family probably wasn't allowed to come and visit him. So, you know, maybe he did get a little homesick. Um, and then he's adjusting to, you know, the NHL and the North American style game. And, you know, he doesn't have the book on all the goalies and the players. He's not as familiar with them as he would have been in the KHL as well. Right. So he comes in, uh, has 70 point season. That's pretty impressive. I mean, he's not a kid. He's 24. Sure, I get that. Um, but I don't think he's uh, achieved his his plateau as an NHL player. I think you've got upside. Um, what, if he finds himself in the right situation, maybe he doesn't like Minnesota. Maybe they trade him. Uh, maybe Minnesota surrounds him with some better players. Marco Rossi comes in and joins the team. I could see him pushing the envelope to 90 points. Maybe not right away, but I definitely think that that's... That's a legitimate possibility. You know, what's super interesting that I actually just thought about there's going to be what 24, 25 teams that don't have a book on him next year too. So, I mean, that's going to be open season. It's almost like a second rookie season. Well, I mean, I think the NHL teams will do, they'll do a lot of, there'll be a lot of video scouting (laughs) of him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that does cut both ways, that unfamiliarity. Jason Robertson, he came up at the top of the show, man. What do you think? Is he the real deal? Last year, you had him as one of your sleepers on our on the show that we did together last year. And, I mean, you couldn't have been more right. He came out, like, top 10 in points per 60 at even strength, fifth in primary assists, uh, 23rd in goals per 60, all at even strength. Great resume. What does year two look like for this guy? Uh, I think he takes a big step forward. I think he becomes a, a top six primary player for the Dallas Stars. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm from Kingston. And he played his OHL here mostly in Kingston. So I saw a lot of him. And the knock on him before he and after he was drafted has always been his skating. But his hands and his vision and his hockey sense are, are is the strongest characteristics of his game and his shot. His shot is, is very good. He'll shoot from anywhere and his release is, is quick. It's accurate. Uh, so there, there's a lot to like about him offensively. I guess, I think a lot of his skating deficiencies have been uh, not resolved, but satisfied, I think would be probably the best way to say it. I think he skates at a satisfactory level at the NHL. Uh, he's, he's not very explosive, uh, he doesn't have that breakaway speed. Um, you know, if there's a, a race for the puck, he's probably not going to win it. Um, but you know, if you get it, he'll probably take the puck from you after you've got it, uh, or put himself in a position to force a turnover or something like that. Um, yeah, I think he's got uh, 30 goal upside 
maybe not right out of the gate next season. Uh, you know, it might take him a little bit to, to reach that level, but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. I think he's legit. If you own him, hold on, hold on, man. I, I love what he did this year and most of it at even strength too. So there, you know, if there's, if there's more in the tank on the power play, like you're, like you're saying, man, like there's another gear there. And I think there is mm-hmm. kind of the flip side here. Ellie Tolvanen, most of his work got done on the power play. He almost single-handedly fixed Nashville's power play, uh, but the power play points were a bit of a crutch. I'm curious what you think year two is going to look like, whether or not Nashville makes a bunch of moves. If Seattle takes Ryan Johansson, if Philip Tomasino comes in, it might be a very different looking Nashville, but what does it look like for Ellie Tolvanen? Well, you know, his stock has been very volatile as a prospect. Um, You know, he was expected to be drafted a little bit higher than he was. He ended up being a very late first round pick. Uh, A lot of people were surprised by that. Uh, And then after that, he was expected to go and play um, in North America and NCAA and his uh, something went wrong where he didn't make it into the NCAA scholastically. So he ended up playing in the KHL and he kind of lit it up over there. Like he was very, very hot commodity. Everyone was trying to get him. His fantasy stock was, was very high. Um, and I had people were thinking, you know, this guy's going to come over to the NHL and score 30 goals. And there's a lot of anticipation for him coming over. And then he came and joined uh, Nashville late in the season in a playoff run. Didn't make the team. Uh, then he went down the following season into the AHL and was meh. Then he went back to the KHL a little bit last year, I think, and and, and then played in the AHL uh, and then played in the NHL. Uh, and, you know, he's starting to look pretty good. So his, his fantasy value went really high and then it went pretty low. People were, were bailing on him. He was, you know, he was a seller's uh, asset. And so now it's back on the rise, right? He's, he's played in the NHL. He's established he has some value in the NHL. So now the question is, would the real Tolvanen please stand up? Are, are you a guy who is an overrated prospect? Or are you just a kid who's just going to takes a little bit longer to develop as, as a lot of kids uh, do? I mean, he's still quite young. I think he's 21, maybe. Um, so, you know, it, it's to, to be seen. And this will have a lot to do with, um, the opportunity that he gets in Nashville. And they're kind of a, a team in flux, like you said, like what's going on with Ryan Johansson and, and Matt Duchesne? Are those guys just busts at this point? Are they mm-hmm. like no longer very good? So that's some pretty expensive third and fourth liners, if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, if, if it is, it opens the door for guys like Tolvan to step up and, and steal their ice time. And if they're not, then, you know, where does that leave them? So, um, it's hard to say with him. I think I'd be willing to take a risk on him. I, I would, I would bite if someone wanted to sell at a, a lower rate, I wouldn't buy him for when he was uh, tearing it up in the KHL. I think those market prices are, are too rich for me, but I think there's somewhere in between that is pretty comfortable for me. And, you know, just hearing you talk about how his career has gone, you almost wonder if next year might be one of those down years, it, like his whole his whole value in fantasy has been whiplash. And if next year is a down year, that's the time to buy, right? Maybe. Can his career sustain a down year at this point? Mm, good point. Good not, point. not with Nashville. If, if he doesn't make Nashville next year, it, it's, he's not going to. He, they, they should move him. 
couple of really exciting guys out of Ottawa, man. I'm loving Ottawa. Like they're they're creeping up my team's list just because of all these prospects they got coming up. Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, two guys we're going to talk about here. Josh Norris was a dark horse, a dark horse for Calder conversation. Maybe not contention, but definitely conversation. He excelled as a one C. Ottawa was nowhere near, in my opinion, as bad as the narrative surrounding them. After game 10, Ottawa finished the year with a 500 win percentage. They were over 500. So I'm wondering what you think Josh Norris looks like next year. Do you think he takes another step? Maybe puts Ottawa into this, okay, their rebuild is actually happening type conversation. Uh, I would be very interested in acquiring stock in Josh Norris on my fantasy team. Uh, And why I say that is, as I look at where his career development is, is coming from. So he was a point of game player in the NCAA and he was a point of game player as a rookie in the AHL. And then, you know, he had a very good NHL debut this year as a rookie, as a Calder candidate. So, um, I mean, he's dominated at every level he's played in. And if you look at where he's at in his career and on the up trajectory with the players that are surrounding him in, in Ottawa, I think he has the potential to be a dominant NHL number one center, like not Sidney Crosby dominant, but like very damn good. Oh yeah. And you look at all the players that they have to insulate him with too. And it, I mean, Jesus, it, it's a dangerous spot to be in Ottawa. Drake Batherson too, man. Absolute crunch daddy. We got hits, we got shots, we got points. And again, I think they're going to insulate Batherson and Norris with some folks from their prospect pool. And I think he's going to continue to grow as a player. Do you think, um, Maybe what we saw this year, I think it was somewhere in the 50-point area as far as an 82-game pace goes. Do you think that's his ceiling, or do you think he's got 60, 70 points? Yeah, I think there's there's there's, there's still room to go there for him. Uh, and this is more like a, a Blake Wheeler-type player. Uh, he'll give you all kinds of stats, right? He, he likes to shoot. He can score some goals. He's a big kid. He's pretty fast, but he plays an aggressive game. He's not necessarily a, a sit in front of the net and, and screen and and take a pounding. He's got a, too much skill for that. He's better along the wall and, and in the corner, um, but he would make a great net front presence as well. Um, so he'll give you a variety of stats. And, you know, I think he's, a again, a young player on Ottawa and he's a developing player on an environment that he's going to be surrounded with uh, players on the same wavelength, up and coming young kids. Um, not all of them will pan out, you know, there's just not enough spots on the roster for all of their prospects to pan out. So some of these prospects that the senators have that we think are going to be great, just aren't at least not with Ottawa. Um, the Batherson's one I, I'm pretty confident in. I think he's kind of more like a, a 60 point guy. They can get you, you know, North of a hundred hits. That is exactly what I want out of this kid, man. Right. Alexander Romanov. First couple of weeks of this season, he looked like who he was billed to be, almost the guy that we were expecting. But after those first two, three weeks or something like that, he faded fast. Curious what the hopes are. Like, is, is it tied to power play time? During those first couple of weeks, they had Petrie and Weber on the top power play and Romanov got power play too. Do you think that has... Um, I don't, I don't want to like power play time is always better than no power play time. I, I get that. But do you think his value is tied to power play time or is there other things there that we can get stoked about? So my take with, with Romanov, I think his fantasy value is not as high as a lot of people think it is. Uh, 
and his NHL value is much higher than his fantasy value is. And I think what part of what drives that is he was really, really good for Russia at the world juniors. And that can be a slippery slope. You know, you see, you get a snapshot of a player playing in an elite tournament uh, and, and, dominating like he did like he was a force for russia at the at the world juniors so you got a whole bunch of folks over here in north america who've never watched him play in russia watch him play at the world juniors and think oh my god this is a montreal kid he's great he's he's amazing he's going to be their next star defenseman um but that's just not really what his game's about he had some good tournaments so he was a really good snapshot in those tournaments um but and he's a very good player don't get me wrong but I just don't think he's got the offensive upside to make him as fantasy relevant as his value is to the Montreal Canadiens. So some people might draft him a little bit higher than I would. I would still consider him for my fantasy team. Of course, he's very good. Um, And his fantasy value will be better if he gets uh, power play time, of course. Um, But I think Montreal would, probably rather have another option there before they default to Romanov. Mm. I call that the Anthony Sorelli effect a lot better in real life than in fantasy. For sure. And it seems like it's there. Let's get into your wheelhouse now, man. Let's talk prospects, guys that are, could guys that could possibly make the jump next year. My personal favorite is Philip Tomasino. I want to know if you think this is the year, what we can expect in year one and what you think the ceiling is. Yeah, so I think he's an NHL player now. Um, you know, he's he's got a pretty good pedigree. He's a first-round draft pick. Uh, he had a 100-point season in 62 games in his last season in the OHL, a couple different teams. Uh, then he went to the AHL, and he had 32 points in 29 games as a rookie. So he dominated his final season in the OHL. He was dominant in his first season in professional hockey. Uh, and then in the middle of that season, he dominated at the world juniors with Canada too. He was a force for them there. So like, he's not going back to, to the AHL. He's, he's too good for that league. Um, and we kind of talked about what's going on with Nashville. There's lots of opportunity there. Yeah. Paging Philip Tomasino. Uh, so yeah, I think they're going to hand him the keys to the car this season. I think they say, Hey kid, look, man, if you, if you, here's the ball, if you can run with it, just keep running, man. Just keep going. Uh, and I think that he's good enough to do it. I think he's got the ability to play uh, not only for Nashville this season, but I think as games wear on and he gains the confidence of the coach and based on the the way he plays the game, I don't think that'll take very long. Uh, he'll be competing for number one center. Hell yeah. That's what I like to hear. Another team that is super strange to think about is the Arizona Coyotes uh, tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern time. I think they're announcing their head coach. So we'll get a feel for if they're going to still be like where offense goes to die as a fantasy team, or <laughs> if maybe Barrett Hayton can start to break in and make a true impact. Uh, he's had, you know, a cup of coffee here and there in the NHL, but I'm wondering if you think he's going to stick what the ceiling is there. I mean, you look at Christian Dvorak, Nick Schmaltz, like their center depth is nothing really to brag about. So I wonder if, if Hayden can make a true impact here. Yeah. So my take on the Barrett Hayden file is um, he's been a poorly developed prospect. Ah, sad to hear. I really don't like the way that 
uh, Arizona has developed him. Um, you know, in the, in the 1920 season, he played 20 games in the NHL in a limited capacity and produced four points. And then he had, you know, he was a point of game player in the AHL that season, but he only played five games. So like he paid 25 games that entire season. That's before the pandemic. Right. And then this year he played 20 games in the AHL or sorry, eight games in, in the Liga, Liga to start it off, 26 games in the NHL and 14 in the NHL and was just okay all over. But like they got him bouncing around. He's not really getting the, the reps I think he needs and he's not dominating anywhere that he goes. So you look at his resume and you're like, you haven't really convinced me that you're an NHL player here, kid. Like you've looked good in a few spots, but um, I don't really like the way that his what what not Arizona's done with him since they drafted him. So when they drafted him, I thought, oh yeah, man, for sure he's going to be a great player. But you know, now I'm starting to, to question if they've groomed him for that or not. Yeah, there's not much continuity in his career yeah. so far. He needs to play full time this season, um, either in the AHL or the NHL, wherever he produces. But I, I would just like to see him play north of sixty games. You know, health permitting, like play a whole season and and be really good if, if that's in the ahl and he goes to the ahl and it has like you know 60 points in 60 games there i feel a lot better about him that's so weird 25 games in like a pre-covid season that's i don't even know right. what's going on there man all right let's talk about cole caulfield man he uh, he has been lighting it up is and and i hate i hate to put too much into like playoff stock you know what i mean i try not to let that affect my rankings for next year, but it feels like this is the guy that we've been waiting for. I, I almost want to smack myself for saying this, but this has got to be the real Cole Caulfield, right? So why don't you put a lot of stock in, in their playoff performance? Miro Heiskanen. He had a one point short of point per game last playoff performance and then did not do that in the, in the regular season. It's just like one of those recency bias kind of like they, they get more value because you remember them more recently when it comes to draft time. Um, maybe maybe it's just me being conservative, but I, I feel like, you know, playoff performances, maybe things are like the ante is upped. Uh, there's more adrenaline being pumped. Look at, look at what Sam Bennett has done over his career outside of Florida. And I mean, I think he was like a 60-point guy in the playoffs and a 19-point guy in the regular season. There's just so much disparity there. And I don't know. I just, I just try not to put too much stock into a playoff performance sample size. Sure. Uh, another way to look at it might be that, you know, that the playoffs isn't time for auditions. Sure. You know, yeah. coaches and teams aren't going to put players in to give them a chance and see how good they are. They're like, we're going to put the very best players that give us a chance to win these games. Cause like every game, every period, every shift is super critical. So there's no way they're going to play him in the playoffs if they don't think he's an NHL player. Not only are they playing him, like he's not on the taxi squad. He's not on the fourth line getting five minutes a night. He's getting like first line looks with Montreal. Over and, Thomas Tatar too. And he's looking really fucking good. Really fucking it? good. He is. So I have no question that he's a full-time first line NHL player from, from now on until he's, <laughs> you know, 30 something. And not only is he a Calder candidate, I think he's got to be a Calder favorite. Oh, it's got to be a lot. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, we're talking 
30 goal rookie season here. And then, you know, he's going to be a 50 goal scorer. I love everything about that, man. Except that he yeah. plays for Montreal. <laughs> that that is one worry that I have is because it, it is like a it's a scoring by committee. They have a one A one B platoon power play. There's it, it's just not in like conducive to offensive players. But I think Caulfield could change that too, right? Like maybe you have the pieces now to have a true first line, have a true well, first power play. Yeah, your roster dictates your playing style, right? So when you have a guy like Cole Caulfield, who's a goal scorer and a, you know a driver of offense. You don't give him equal playing time as all your other forwards. You're like he's he's your guy. You you put him out for the first minute and fifty nine seconds of every power play. Power play two gets one second of time. I Cole Caulfield, you get the rest. If John Tortorella agreed with you, man, we'd be in a, a much happier place. <laughs> but now, yeah, he's out of a job, so that's the way it goes. Yeah, in Byfield, man. Let's talk about this kid. Um, yeah, he he felt pretty ready. Like he, he felt NHL ready. I understand that LA is in no place to compete now. Why rush your kids is next year of the year. Well, it's 50, 50. I mean, he has still got a year of OHL eligibility. Mm, that's right. Yeah. So the options with, for LA are he plays in the NHL with them full time, or they send him back to Sudbury in the OHL which seems crazy. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out listening to this going, no fucking way is he going yeah. back to junior, but they don't have the choice to play him in the AHL this year. He only played in the AHL because there was no OHL because of COVID. Um, but if the OHL were a thing, I'm pretty sure that's where he would have been because he wasn't in the NHL very long. So to cut in, why can't he play in the AHL? Because that's like, that's the an agreement that the NHL has with, with the CHL that, mm. uh, that the players that are drafted out of the CHL uh, cannot play in the American Hockey League until they've aged out of the OHL. They can go play in the NHL right away. That's no problem. But there's no in-between. It's, it's, and if, they, if the team sends them from training camp or any point in the season down to the OHL, they can't recall them. Oh. Yeah, unless it's in a, like a... a you know, they got so many injured players. It's an emergency situation that they can come up for a game or two or whatever, which is extremely rare, mm. but basically it's, it's one or the other. So that's going to be the case with, with Byfield. So what I'm concerned about here is this is going to turn into like a, you know, a poorly developed mismanagement of an asset situation where they, they leave him in the NHL all season and he plays eight minutes a night on the fourth line. And, you know, doesn't really develop it's, it's not good it's, for your confidence the nhl isn't a developmental league you know if a player is a it has the the pedigree and the expectation of quentin byfield he's just not ready for the nhl then then don't put him there put him in the ohl let him score 100 points let him go to the world juniors and 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 dominate at the world juniors and then he'll come back to training camp the following season like you're goddamn right i'm good enough to play on this team not, right. mm, not like if he played the in the NHL this year and the, the previous scenario where he's getting six minutes a night and then he comes to training camp. He's like, gee, I hope I make the team now. Oh, man. Right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think 50-50 might even be a little uh, little high up there. I, I mean, LA's, they're in no position to compete. So again, why rush the kids? Let him, let him go, right? Let him go to the OHL, dominate, get that confidence up and, and come up when, when LA's ready. And nothing, you know, bad... LA fans are going to agree. Like they're not, they're not there. They're not there yet. 
They're not, but, and ultimately this decision will be dictated by Byfield. He'll show up at training camp and he'll either blow them away and make the team or they'll be like, mm, gee, I don't know. I guess we do. Go back to junior bud. Mm, that's going to be a tough one. Anton Lundell. Um, there is, for me at least, I have my questions about Sam Bennett as a 2C. And then you got Wenberg as a 3C. I think his contract is up this summer. That's a vacancy at the center position. And I think Lundell could come in. Um, what do you think? Yeah, well, they, they just signed him to his ELC. Yep. Uh, so all the expectations are that, um, that he's coming to, to North America and that he'll you know, compete for, for a roster spot. Um, when he was drafted, he was like, oh, he's, he's going to be a, a really good two-way center, you know, like a best case scenario, second line center, or a really, really good third line center, uh, like Nico Koivu kind of thing. Right. Mm. Um, that's who he was compared to. And so then after his draft, he just goes back, um, into the league and, and scores at a point of game pace and, you know, flashes his offensive chops has 10 points for Finland at the world junior looks pretty good there. Um, so, you know, he'll come over and there'll be an adjustment period in the NHL for him. So let's say he does come this year. I don't expect he would be a Calder candidate. Maybe, not with, maybe not. not. Yeah, not with Caulfield in the running. Right. Um, but I mean, I think he's got a 60 point upside. Right on. On his career. So it might not translate immediately, but uh, yeah, I would, I'd be very interested in coin stock and, and Anton Lundell in my fantasy league. Joe Valeno is, I mean, 2C in, in Detroit is, I mean, there, there's a vacancy there. I think we can all agree. Uh, it was it was Rasmussen at times. I think it was Philpla at times. But Joe Valeno could step in as a 2C. Do you think that is something that they're planning to do or are they going to season him in the bottom six and work their way up? Uh, or am I getting ahead of myself? He might not even be an NHL player next year. So Detroit and Steve Eiserman, uh have, have always traditionally been uh, very okay with letting players over-ripen in the minors. Um, and I think they subscribe to the velocity of, you know, when you, when you dominate at the level you're at, we'll move you up to the next one. So as Joe Valeno dominated at the AHL level, not really. He's been good. Not out of place but just okay. Uh, and then he played in the SHL this year and he was good over there too, but again, didn't dominate, you know, not a point of game kind of thing. So I think he could be in the NHL this season, but this is another example of, um, you know, are you overvaluing him? What, what are your expectations for Joe Valeno? Do you think he's going to be like an exceptional status player? That's going to have, um, you know, 80 points in the NHL. I don't think so. I think he could be a second line center. I think he could be 40 to 60 points, maybe. Um, so I, I'm not quite as, as high on, on Valeno as a lot of people are. And there's probably people listening to this podcast that are thinking that I'm crazy and I might be, but um, you know, I, I've, I've seen him play a couple of times and, and he's good. Um, but I just don't see him being that dynamically offensive for fantasy hockey that I would put him into my, my like a list prospects. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there are some people that, that overvalue him out there. Uh, he got drafted Red Wing fans in, in the second round in a <laughs> dynasty startup, which 
which was a bit strange. That's, yeah. uh, that's a bit early. Alex Newhook, uh, he's, he's an A-list prospect. I mean, I, I got to go there. He is. Uh, do we see him next year? Yeah, I think so. Um, again, I mean, he played for Colorado in the playoffs. It's, it's not an audition. When you play for a team in the playoffs, I think that that's them declaring you're in. Um, and, you know, he was dominant in the AHL. He played five games there or whatever it was. And he had or eight games and he had five goals and nine points. It's a pretty small sample size. It doesn't necessarily mean that if he played a whole season, he'd have like a hundred goals or anything. Um, but he did dominate at the uh, NCAA level. He looked really great at the um, AHL cup of coffee that he had there. So good that Colorado threw him into the, their NHL roster at the end of the regular season and then pulled him back in for a playoff run. I think he's, I think he's made the team. Um, can he score 30 goals as a rookie? That might be, that might be overly optimistic. Uh, will he score 30 goals at some point in a season in his career? Yeah, I think so. Excellent. Lastly, what I got for you is just an open-ended segment. Is there anybody that you feel that we've left out that you think is ready for a breakout that's going to break in or that's going to break down? So we're looking at those aging vets. We're looking at the NHL jumpers and we're looking at second year guys or just any breakout in general. Yeah, I'll give you a, a couple of guys, and we've even talked about some of them. Uh, I think Sam Bennett could be a breakout. You know, he's mm. had flashes in Calgary and uh, and then long droughts. Yeah. Flashes in the playoffs and long droughts. I listened to an interview with him on the 31 Thoughts podcast, and they asked him about it. And uh, he said that he asked for a trade out of Calgary, too. Uh, and I think it's because what he said was they, they just weren't playing him in a, in a top six role. They were just asking him to play a different role and basically do what he did for them. Uh, and he did that, but you know, he's a fourth overall draft pick. Um, so he believes he's capable of more. So they trade him. Florida believes he's capable of more and he proved them right. Um, now, is this just another one of his small playoff sample sizes? And then we see next season, he regresses back to, being a, you know, a third or fourth line player who plays with, with some grit, uh, maybe, but I don't think so. Um, again, I saw him play a lot in Kingston. So, um, I know that he can, uh, control the play, um, and, and be an influential player. Uh, he can impose his will on a game and we've seen him do that in, in Calgary and short stints in the playoffs. And we've seen him do it in Florida. So he's proven on multiple occasions that he's capable of doing it. The question is, is he capable of sustaining it? Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's still quite young. I, I don't think that he's been given enough opportunity to prove that he can. So I believe that he can, and I think that he will, but you know, this season will tell. I'm, I'm a little, I'm cautiously optimistic with Bennett and I'll, I'll tell you why here. He, like you said, he, he always got up for the playoffs and in Florida, I almost feel like there was, there was a chip on his shoulder, you know, like he, he was proving it to Calgary. Like, mm, this is what I can do. You know what I mean? Great chemistry with Huberto. That's still going to be there next year, but I'm worried that, that he's going to get comfortable in Florida and that chip that I think that brings him to this next level might be gone. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little bit worried. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I hope to God that that he was he was so much fun this year. Like that Sam Bennett, 
hitting everybody, pims out the ass, shots, yeah. hits, even saw some top power play time. Like that is a player that I want on my on my fantasy team. Well, I, I'm rooting for him. I'm in a league uh, as Seattle. Um, oh yeah, so I'm looking at teams that are submitting their um, their expansion protection lists. Sam Bennett was protected on the <clears> team that owns him. Well, so so there you go. That that tells you something about where people believe his fantasy value is. I wish I would have picked him up in the other league I'm in when um, I kind of probably could have got him for a song, you know, like maybe a fourth round pick or something even. And now, like I've tried to acquire him in in the league that I'm in, and you know, it's going to cost me way more than than a fourth round pick at this point. Uh, another player I think you could look for a breakout would be uh, Robert Thomas in St. Louis. Uh, he missed some time this season with injury, um, but I think uh, it's it's kind of now or never uh, for for Robert Thomas. I think maybe not now or never, but now is a, a, is the time. Uh, I think St. Louis will be looking for him to uh, to move his game up, and and who knows what's happening with Tarasenko there? Is you know his shoulders seem pretty done, um, so that would be a shame if for Tarasenko if his career is over. But it sure would open up a window of opportunity for Robert Thomas. Yeah. Uh, Give him one more year. Yeah. Uh, some players I think might break in. Um, you know, Bob Brosky's kind of not been phenomenal. Uh, look for Spencer Knight maybe to uh, kind of take the reins in net there and, and in Florida, put them in a difficult situation where they, what do we do with Bob now? Um, we talked about Cole Caulfield. I think that's an obvious one. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Marco Rossi, we were all thinking at this time last year that Marco Rossi would probably be the, the best player from the draft in the NHL right away. And, you know, the world conspired against him, giving him mono and he had some, I don't know, whatever injuries or sicknesses he had, but he basically, he lost the year, um, which is disappointing. But, uh, and again, he has the opportunity to play OHL or NHL, but I think, pretty confidently that he'll be in the NHL with, with Minnesota next year. I'm excited about him, man. That's all I got for you. So I hope, uh, I hope you had a good time, man. And uh, thanks so much for coming on again. Yeah, man. Anytime. So if, uh, if anybody's out there looking for Pete Harling, P Harling on Twitter, and if there's anything else you're working on, man, feel free to drop it here. Yeah. I've actually kind of, you know, this, this season, I've taken a bit of a step back from my, uh, my hockey community involvement. Um, I've kind of resigned from, from my spot with Dauber. I don't know if it's temporary or permanent or not. We'll see the OHL announced that they're coming back. So that might stoke the fires, get me back in the rink. Um, I'll be doing the, a few articles, uh, for McKean's. They asked me to do, uh, fantasy prospect ranking and, and contribute to their yearbook. So, so I'll do those things and we'll see where it goes, but uh, yeah, man, you can find me on Twitter and um, I might fire up the, the Dauber prospects radio podcast again. Once, once the OHL comes back in the AHL and I can get back into games and, and give some firsthand accounts on players that I've watched again. I appreciate you carving some time to talk hockey with us tonight, man. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you. Yeah. Pleasure's mine, man. Cheers. Take care, brother. There you have it, guys. That is our conversation with Peter Harling. 
We talked age-related decline. We talked NHL jump-ready prospects, second-year outlooks, things like that. We got one episode left in our Dynasty series here, and I hope you enjoyed the series so far. I mean, all of our guests have been more than gracious with their time and more than gracious with their insight. That is, you know, front and center because these guys know their stuff in and out. And this is as much a practice for me learning, you know, as it is for me to get it out there to you guys, because I know there's going to be people out there that enjoy this kind of thing. And, you know, we've gotten a lot of really good feedback about this. And I know that uh, that you guys are enjoying it. So I'm happy if you're happy. I'm having a good time. I'm ho- happy that you guys are having a good time. Tuesday, we're going to have one last episode for you guys. We got Tony Ferrari. We're going to pivot back to these 2021 20, entry level guys. And we're going to start to sneak in a couple redraft looks too. We're going to talk some, uh, again, second year outlooks and, uh, you know, NHL jump ready prospects. I think we're going to sneak some of those in there. And then on Thursday, we have what I am, uh, I'm going to say it's a secret episode for now, but I know you guys are going to enjoy it. It's, it's, we're going to be covering a topic that has been swirling around the fantasy water cooler for a long time, especially this last, actually only this last year. So. If that's not enough of a hint, I don't know what would be. I know you guys are going to enjoy the guests that we got coming on. I think you're going to enjoy the topic. It's something that I've been thinking a lot about. I feel like it would be would be interesting. So I hope you guys dig it. Uh, look forward to it because I don't think you're going to be let down. But anyway, if you guys want to find us, we're on Twitter at FHF Hockey. We have a fantasy hockey discord. You guys are more than welcome to join in. Uh, still buzzing, you know, here in the offseason. It's, it's getting to a point where... Maybe, maybe I'll mute notifications. And those of you that are in the Discord know how much of a maniac that makes me. But uh, yeah, anyway, I'm rambling on, guys. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. We love you.